Welcome to You Can't Kill Me, every Slipknot song one by one. We are Chris Nee and Dave Musson, and I'm delighted to say that this is another very special episode. Instead of talking about one song between the two of us, we're talking about all of them with somebody better qualified. So please join me in giving a very warm Steve Wright in the afternoon welcome to one half of the spectacular Riot Act podcast. It's Renfrey Deadman. That is very kind. That was a very kind intro, Chris. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining us. It's a real pleasure to um, have somebody who can give a critical ear to everything because we've spoken to each other, musicians, and it's actually really important as well to have somebody who can go back to the beginning of Slipknot hitting the UK, which is kind of the point we always start to talk about. Yeah, well, let's let's hope I can live up to your intro. <laughs> it's quite an intro to live up to. <laughs> well, let's get I'll started, shall we? We'll find out. We've we've done a few of these now. We always start in more or less the same place. How did you first come across Slipknot, and what kind of impact did they have on you in those early interactions? I came across Slipknot in a Kerrang uh, feature, quite a famous one. I'm sure you'll both be familiar with it, and everyone listening will be familiar with it. With the uh, playground feature, where they were kind of photographed in this playground, like leering around in their masks, and I think my initial thought because we were in the height of new metal there was a lot of this kind of theatrical ott stuff going on to be honest with you and a lot of it was not very good to be totally honest so it was kind of like okay it's another band doing that thing but Karan got on them very quickly and absolutely loved them so i felt that well there's clearly something in it my uh god the drummer in my band actually managed to get a copy of the self-titled album and he put it on one day it was on cassette tape we were around his house we were in his room i remember specifically where we were uh yeah and sick came out and i was well seven four seven so blah 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 came out and i was like what the fuck is this and then sick came out and yeah just completely and utterly flawed and when I found out it was the silly mask band, I had to completely re- reappraise my thoughts on imagery <laughs> <laughs> and like judging bands by how they look. Um, so that was quite an early one for me in that regard. Um, so I think that probably helped me get into kind of like the Ramsteins and the Imperial Triumphants later on in life because I, I found all that stuff kind of gimmicky. It's weird being a child of the new metal era and finding all that stuff gimmicky <laughs> but i just did <laughs> so yeah that was my that was my introduction well right act listeners might have in mind a certain rem free sound uh and slipknot wouldn't necessarily fit in with that do they inform anything about the taste that you're kind of known for through the podcast now yeah i mean well, those who listen to the show will know that i moan about metal quite a lot really but really i always come from that i always come at that from a point of view of it being such an exciting form when i was growing up it was the most exciting form of music and it just felt really modern uh and i think we've lost a lot of that in a lot of metal music but when i was growing up i mean metal was almost not quite all i listened to but you know like i said i grew up around the new metal era so if you're including all of that stuff and i think we kind of need to if we're uh talking about slipknot then you know, you've got your Lamb of Gods and your, um, God, I was listening to Cold Chamber around that time. I don't know why Cold Chamber <laughs> came to mind. That's not going to make me look good. But uh, I was listening to a lot of metal around that time. So certainly, you know, in terms of just having a grounding in metal and I suppose bringing elements of, I probably didn't know it at the time, 
but elements of extreme metal to my um toolbox i guess slipknot were probably the first time i ever heard blast beats for example and liked them anyway at least or understood what they were you know they didn't really do the blast beat thing until people equal shit on the second record but that was probably the first time that that really extreme style had been opened up to me in any way shape or form i would have thought one of the things we always lean on as a podcast is this moment when iowa hit the uk uh because it yeah. really felt like the weird boiler suit band had kind of hit this hit this amazing uh stage where they were huge in the uk but still scary it was a real moment here wasn't it if you remember that you know we talk about picking it up off the shelf in tesco i remember it vividly like so well i mean i was a massive massive fan of the first record and i was very much looking forward to the second one as well i remember they there was a free download of the heretic anthem which was sort of the first Mm. single it was very much a trial thing back then um giving people free downloads of stuff upcoming on a record partly i mean mainly because i remember it took me about four hours just to download this one song we were all on dial-up internet connections at the time but as much as i adored the first slipknot record my tastes had begun to develop a little bit i was just just about i think uh if i remember correctly to start going out into the world of like university i went to drama school and i was starting to think about like my housemates uh (laughs) putting up with me basically and i think going to drama school opened me up to other music as well other things that i wouldn't have listened to before so i kind of um i was excited about iowa coming out but i had not not lost a love for metal but i had discovered other things as well other things were coming into my palette by that time but when i was listening to the debut well when i was listening to the self-titled album i should say it was everything was metal as far as i was concerned it was all about metal the whole thing of iowa getting to number one i mean i don't think any of us could have predicted it slipknot was this really bizarre kind of tribal thing it was kind of, i think the most similar thing i would compare it to is the my chemical romance thing that came along a few years later if you're a certain age and you listen to a certain type of music it's pretty likely you had a slipknot hoodie or slipknot merchandise which you would inevitably wear on non-school uniform day and then you could paint your fingernails black and all that kind of thing and there was this whole sort of slipknot kind of united those people in a weird way even if it united them in hatred of the band because everyone had an opinion on this band i think them being on tfi friday i mean that was the first record but here in the uk them being on tfi friday and just absolutely destroying the studio was a massive thing no one had heard of slipknot the day before and then the next day all anyone was talking about in the playground was Slipknot. And everyone had an opinion and a strong opinion. Quite a lot of people hated them and thought they were stupid and rubbish jitter music uh, was was the main thing that got said to me down in Bristol. Um, but everyone was talking about them after after that performance. And that just goes to show kind of the power that television had back then, uh, which obviously it doesn't really have now. I think even though they'd had those amazing... Uh, opportunities like getting on national television after their first album with such an extreme sound no one actually predicted that enough people were going to be interested to 
to pick up the second album for it to get to number one. I mean, even people who liked the band, uh, I mean, I saw them live during the self-titled run and I, I, I was surprised that they'd even make it to a second album. They were so crazy. Sid was constantly breaking his ankle. Well, I say constantly, he broke it once at least from jumping off balconies and stuff like that, you know. So there was a lot of talk about like, would this band even survive more than one record? There was almost like a kind of Gigi Allen kind of vibe in the press about whether whether we would get to see a second Slipknot record. So the fact that when it did come out, not only did we see it, but this wasn't a gimmicky thing that was only going to last one record. It was going to be something that people really took to their hearts. Disaffected youth really, really took to their hearts. They felt lonely and uh, betrayed by a lot of people around them and were confused about things growing up and felt and felt disaffected and Slipknot spoke to them. So I guess there were a lot more of those people in the world or in the UK at least than people imagined. Did you stay on board through the second album cycle into volume three? Uh, yes and no is what I would say. I didn't see them on the Iowa tour. I remember that. I think it was more just like other things coming into my life and other, you know, like I said, I just moved off to drama school and all this kind of thing. So I think other things has come into my life, which just basically meant that it was a lot harder to keep up with what was happening just in music in general, to be totally honest, not just um, not just Slipknot, but music in general. But as a result, I remember when I heard volume three, was coming out i wasn't disinterested but i was pretty ho-hum i was like okay cool there's gonna be a new slipknot record it'll probably sound like the other two which was a you know ridiculous thing to say especially looking back at it now but i do remember i popped into fop in bristol i think i was back for half term or something like that and uh volume three had come out that day and i remember just taking a punt on it and i was completely blown away by what I heard I think I think well you're going to ask this later so well I've just spoiled it actually I I think volume three the Subliminal Versus is my favorite Subliminal album because I was really kind of stunned that they could do so much more than people would have given them credit for but then still keep it within the Slipknot mold I think people who criticize songs like Circle and say that they're they're not Slipknot songs they sound like Stone Sour songs I mean the very basic bones of them are stone sour songs but all the weird shit and samples and stuff that sid and craig are doing i think make them slipknot songs and i think that's the probably the only point where they managed to marry both of those worlds but to melodic stuff as well and things like danger keep away i just think is genuinely quite surreal and odd and haunting if i if i were to be really super critical about slipknot i would say that like quite often they try too hard to be haunting didn't feel like they were trying too hard with volume three it just felt genuinely quite disturbing um so volume three proved to be a massive resurgence in my adoration of slipknot i actually ventured out to see them live um on the volume three cycle multiple times um and they were they were probably my favorite memories of seeing slipknot as well i wasn't sure if i was going to go to download that year or not and volume three coming out and it being as amazing as it was and slip not having a relatively high position on the bill was basically the deciding factor 
which meant that I went to download that year and saw Metallica without Lars and Slayer and uh, Soulfly and fucking loads of bands. But um, yeah, Volume 3 really reignited my passion for Slipknot in a huge, huge way. And I think they, Volume 3 was the point where I went, okay, this is a band who are going to stay with me probably for the rest of my life. Whereas I don't know, even if I'd been really, really honest with myself, I'm not sure if I would have said that of Slipknot with the first and second album. Touched on some of this already, Renfrew, but I wanted to talk a bit about the Slipknot live experience. Um, Guttingly, I narrowly missed out on seeing them on the self-titled tour because I I got into the self-titled album probably about a month after that tour had hit the UK. So I vaguely remember tales of the the Wolverhampton show that famously got them banned from Wolverhampton. Um, So I didn't see them until the Iowa tour. So my my experience of seeing Slipknot Live has only ever been in arenas. You just mentioned you saw them on the self-titled run. So what, what was that like seeing that monster in a in a smaller environment um so i saw them at bristol university a um place called the anson rooms which is an 800 cap venue it was probably one of the smallest i i my guess is it's is it was the smallest venue on that tour i would have thought i don't know that for an absolute fact but just thinking like the wolverhampton wolfram rooms is like 1500 or something like that you know i just just having a guess at the kind of places they played it was probably the smallest it was something like my fifth or sixth ever gig so truthfully i mean honestly i could uh jazz this all up in bravado and say yeah it was amazing i went down into the pit and i annihilated everyone yada 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 but i was scared shitless <laughs> i was absolutely petrified i'd only started go- i'd been going to live music for less than a year um and i mean i'd seen pretty heavy stuff i'd seen metallica i'd seen marilyn manson but i hadn't seen like a really slipknot seemed to be even heavier than both of those bands i suppose it was the screaming i like metallica and manson don't have screaming do they but slipknot especially at that time it was almost all screaming so i think it was sort of that element and also being enclosed in such a smaller space i was absolutely terrified my memory of the gig itself is just sheer bedlam really and not knowing where to look and um being quite petrified that one of these guys was going to come out and actually like kidnap me or something like that <laughs> like trying to watch my back and being just genuinely like quite quite terrified i think in a weird way i almost wish i'd had a few more gigs under my belt before i'd gone um, because I would have been able to sort of relax back into the environment and know that it was a safe environment and all that sort of thing. But I was just absolutely petrified. And I just remember running away from a lot of things during the show, to be <laughs> honest with you, um, and uh, trying to catch as much of it as I possibly could and going absolutely mad. I mean, I, I went I went about halfway in because I thought that was like the level that I could do. And as soon as they came on, I got petrified and ran to the back um, like a fucking baby. Jesus, I'm really not making myself sound very hard at all. Um, But yeah, I was absolutely, absolutely terrified. But the power of the songs, I mean, they effectively just went straight through the self-titled debut, basically, like kind of like the standard edition. And I mean, those songs sounded monumentous on album uh on the cd but oh my god live they were just 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 terrifyingly good 
and that would have opened me up to seeing a lot of stuff where uh bands aren't necessarily stuck on the stage that's probably the first time that i saw a show like that as well which was yeah just genuinely terrifying it's like there's a form of theater which is called promenade theater which is where you walk around the action it was kind of like that was the difference between a normal standard gig and like a gig where i could turn around and you know chris fenn would be in my face wanking his (laughs) nose dick off you know uh it was it was yeah it was surreal and I, I wish I wish I could remember more of it, but I was just so busy cowering most of the time uh, that I do actually have only very vague memories from it. But I remember it being absolutely extraordinary, an extraordinary experience. So fast fast forward 20 years or so, I think if I remember correctly from, from Riot Act earlier this year, did, did you catch them on the, their arena run at the start of... 2020 yeah yeah i went up to nottingham to see them and what do you make of of slipknot now as this as this arena rock well arena metal band i mean chris and i saw them on on that run and had a thoroughly enjoyable evening um presume you weren't quite so scared of it this time oh i definitely wasn't as scared (laughs) of it no i mean slipknot has uh, this is going to sound like a really cynical thing to say but please just bear with me for a moment uh, because it'll come around in a nice resolution. Slipknot have become something that they were not before. And there's a lot of like talk in alternative music. It's more kind of punk than it is metal, but it, you know, they kind of crossbreed sometimes. There's a lot of talk about like not not selling out and like not becoming something that you, you know, would despise later on in life and so on and so forth. And the thing with the Slipknot stuff is they really couldn't have continued the way that they were. So now what you get with Slipknot is far more of a show um, where they're going crazy and stuff, but it's it's never in the same way. But I don't think anyone could really genuinely expect um, a band. I mean, well, most of them are in their 40s, right? I don't think anyone can really genuinely expect that band to do what they did in their 20s and keep it up without someone dying i mean they used to say all the time in interviews someone's gonna die in this band soon unfortunately it became prophetic in a way that they never ever imagined but i think that when when they were talking about it in interviews and stuff they meant more someone's gonna die on stage because of the crazy shit that we do and to be honest with you i think it's a good thing that that didn't continue for the obvious reasons of health and safety but also because it would have become a inferior version of itself as it continued so slipknot absolutely whilst you know a lot of people will go back to that first tour and say oh if you weren't there you lost out i think my favorite slipknot show has been when they've been more of a show band than uh than when it was absolutely all crazy and manic and i think that's because they've become a really good theatrical experience um and that's exactly how what i felt watching them in nottingham they had these really like a really cool stage set uh they had these nice screens and stuff i think there were a few lasers and stuff there was definitely pyro um and they put it together quite nicely i think i think they've done cooler sets and stuff like that for was it gray chapter i'm sure one of you will be able to fill me in with this was it gray chapter where they had the kind of weird ass circus yeah. stuff yeah, yeah that's the room with corn, yeah. wasn't it that's right yeah 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 and like that the stage set looked absolutely awesome for that. That might that might even be my favourite Slipknot show. I'm not sure. But yeah, I just thought that the, the way that they build uh, a show around what they do now is really, really good. And 
for that kind of thing for that kind of experience of sitting back and watching a show it's probably yeah well they're one of the best heavy bands in the world aren't they for that sort of thing i'd say like i still immensely enjoy them like i really love seeing slipknot live now and they were they were brilliant earlier in january and they brought behemoth out with them as well who are absolutely incredible you know so yeah yeah, it was a great night but i was i was going to ask you what your personal favorite slipknot performance you've seen is i mean you've hinted at a couple there sort of the the volume three run and also the the, the crazy circus from from a gray chapter if if i forced you to pick one right now what what would you plump for i think i am actually gonna just i'm gonna go slightly off piste just because i haven't talked about it and it is a good opportunity and it definitely was my favorite slipknot show for years um not a great album cycle to be honest um all hope is gone is my least favorite album but live they were still absolutely slamming mm-hmm. uh <laughs> i'm never using that word again <laughs> fucking hell and um they played three nights at the hamsmith apollo and there was something about I, I remember being quite happy that we were getting hammersmith apollo because the rest of the country were getting rather like one day in an arena and we were getting three nights in uh five thousand cap theater and so seeing the band at their showiest in, you know, 5,000 cap is not a small venue, um, but it's smaller than people were used to seeing them at that point. And they were just absolutely phenomenal that night. They also brought Machine Head out with them, who were incredible that night. They were on the Blackening as well. So that was absolutely incredible. And Children of Bottom, who were fine. <laughs> uh, and uh, they were fine. Yeah, it was just an incredible night, like absolutely incredible night. This is when Joey would come out right at the beginning of the show and he'd have those weird twigs Mm -hmm. coming out of his uh, hands and all that kind of stuff and all that kind of theatrical element to it. it. It just, it wasn't what a lot of the old school fans wanted, but then it did work. It worked really, really well. And like, look what it's paved the way for, stuff like ghosts and things like that, you know. It's a really vital part of what Slipknot are and who they've been for the majority of their career now. Mm. I think one of the things, um, so moving on from the the live environment, one of the th- one of the re- things Chris and I are particularly keen to hear your take on is um, what what you make of of Slipknot sort of post Paul and post Joey, and I think particularly because that timeline sort of lines up with with you not only still being a fan but also being a reviewer as well and you know the other guests we've spoken to a lot of them have just as as many fans have done as sort of checked out a bit after the first three albums and sort of dipped in here and there on the more recent stuff it's almost been your job to still be engaged and still interested in them so what do you think of of, of this change in Slipknot's creative approach and their and their output since since Paul and Joey's gone how, how do you think they've done on on the great chapter and and we're not your kind I'm generally much, much kinder to those two albums. Um, I'm talking specifically in terms of the Grey Chapter, because it seems like the Grey Chapter is really uh, dunked on a lot. And so All Hope Is Gone was a very experimental record. And I think the issue with All Hope Is Gone, it's not a bad record, but I think a lot of the experimentation that they did on that record just didn't work. It didn't feel very slipknot there was a lot of um talk then about you know th- that was when the, the snuff would come out and people were going oh is this slipknot anymore or is it Corey's solo project and yada 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 all that boring stuff i feel like gray chapter slipknot retained the experimental stuff 
that they were doing um but but they were just a lot better at it i thought and i mean the great chapter is hands down better than all hope is gone as far as i'm concerned we are not your kind um is and is is an even even better version of gray chapter in that again there's still quite a lot of experimental stuff on there i remember steve on the show really pointed out spiders and how much he loves that song it feels like a really stuff like spiders feels like a really um mature way for them to grow i suppose that's a weird word to use in the in terms of slipknot certainly mature isn't the first word that you think of but it's a way of retaining a dark psychologically scarring kind of edge but without having to jump around like crazy and have the you know uh body and mind of a late teen uh early 20 year old you know and i think slipknot have done that really well there's always going to be naysayers and there's always going to be people who want them to you know do self-titled all over again or iowa all over again but the thing is is if they did those if they tried to do that, um, we'd get much, much worse results than what they've tried with Grey Chapter and We Are Not Your Kind. So I think those people are kind of missing the point a little bit when they think that or say that. I mean, it's perfectly fine to move on uh, from bands and to just like just like the first two or the first three and then move on to something else. If you, if bands make changes and you don't move with them, that's o- that's okay. But trying to force a band to be the way that they used to be just seems uh like the complete opposite of what creativity should be um so i'm all for them really i i still regularly listen to oh, i say regularly listen, I, I listen to the gray chapter fairly often i still listen to we are not your kind quite a lot it's been out oh, it's been out about a year now hasn't it so i'm still going back to it from time to time um and i think i think they're both really solid records they always all, all slipknot records are too long i mean anyone who <laughs> listens to me on riot will know that i complain about records being too long all the time every slipknot record's too long but apart from that i think dave and i have broadly agreed that we're kinder than others on uh, 0.5 the gray chapter what we talk about a lot between us when comparing that to we are not your kind is that on the, on the later record we really felt the band rediscovered some some fire some character is that overstating it because yeah. we were excited um it's an interesting question um you see well maybe but i think there was i think there was a fair amount of fire on five the great chapter which is not a popular opinion but if you look at i mean several songs like the devil in i uh the negative one basically the two singles and custer is my mm-hmm. you know main main evidence for the jury i mean did they do anything on we or not your kind which fills me with as much adrenaline as custer i'm not sure to be totally honest and I'm very rarely like I'm very rarely keen on the let's just swear a lot in a chorus route, but it's done so well with Custer that I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll I'll like I'll take it. It sounds re- you know it sounds really really good. So I don't know. I I, th- I think I think the most successful bits on We Are Not Your Kind are the bits where they are being a bit more pensive. So maybe that's why I'm being pensive in my response. Because I don't think it's strictly untrue to say that they found something that they'd maybe lost for a little while. But because my favourite things on We Are Not Your Kind tend to be stuff like uh, A Liar's Funeral and Spiders and Solway Firth, it's not like the bangers, quote unquote, 
that I go to as much as uh, those other songs. Would you say that Slipknot have ever had true influence or have they, have they still got any of that now? Oh, yeah. I, I think Slipknot, you can say quite comfortably, are one of the most influential modern metal bands in so many aspects, musically, as well as their, in their aesthetic as well. Uh, if you look at a band like Code Orange or Lotus Either or Loathe, you know, they all have like a kind of, well, Code, Code Orange and Loathe particularly have a, have cultivated a kind of um, image to their bands, not in the same sense as Slipknot, but they've created a world around it, which I know Sean Crayon is very keen on doing with Slipknot. And I think that plays a lot into it. Lotus Eater, I think, sound a lot like Slipknot. You mentioned you had Sammy on from Employed to Serve. I mean, Employed to Serve have loads of Slipknot in what they do. Um, Vain. I mean, when people try to criticise that Vain album, they're basically like, oh, it just sounds like a hardcore band playing the first Slipknot, self-titled Slipknot record, as if that would be a bad thing. Um, but, you know, undoubtedly there are like Slipknot comparisons there. I think if you look to the aesthetic and building a world and stuff, things like Sleep Token and Imperial Triumphant, two bands who are completely far away from one another musically, but just that whole thing of... Whether you like it or not, Sleep Token have their kind of worship thing and all their like masked players. And then Imperial Triumphant did that amazing kind of Art Deco New York um, masked thing. And I think the key thing is 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 not just the image, but the world that is built around it. World creation is really vividly important for a lot of these bands. Uh, and I think Slipknot undoubtedly have a huge part to do with that i would have thought all of our guests on these episodes renfrey we uh we put them through a a quick fire round which is um you know just mainly just a bit of fun but can also can also pose some of the we found it to be some of the deepest questions in fact so uh, are you are you up for the challenge of going through the uh the slipknot quick fire round with us sure do you want me to but do, do, do i need to give an answer in like two seconds or something well, and then just shut up. To, do I get to explain? Oh it, yeah, or? yeah. You get you get to explain it. Yeah. <clears throat> feel feel okay, free to okay. explain. The first question is actually, what's your favourite Slipknot album? And I know you've already mentioned Volume Three, but I just wanted to ask again, just to make sure you were comfortable with that going on the record as your Slipknot album. And and if you want to embellish as to why, then go for it. I'm sticking with Volume Three, yeah. and the reason I'm sticking with Volume Three is because, I mean, truthfully, it's between self-titled and Volume Three, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh I'm sure most people go for self-titled. It's usually self-titled or whatever, isn't it? The reason I think Volume 3 is brilliant is it's just that brilliant intersection. It's kind of what I said before, that brilliant intersection of them being able to do like more melodic stuff, which still sounded like Slipknot, and do the heavy stuff as well. And as an album from start to finish, this has come up quite a bit because we've had a 20th anniversary for the um, self-titled Slipknot album not too long ago, last year. And a lot of people, you know, said that they didn't realise how much filler is towards the end of that um, self-titled Slipknot album, because it certainly has a weaker second half than it does a first half. And I think volume three second half is weirder and odder, and it, it takes more time to get into it. But I think it's some of the, I mean, stuff like the virus of life and the nameless and vermilion part two and pulse of the maggots, like why that wasn't released as as a single, I don't know. Um, Slipknot go on about their anthem being surfacing. I think their anthem should be pulse of the maggots. It's fucking huge, you know. 
circle is just such a brilliant example of how to be kind of menacing but through an acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and other and other accoutrements and stuff like that i absolutely love prelude 3.0 it's the best slipknot opening by a mile it's uh making kind of an extended intro track and that melodic stuff and the way that Corey's singing i just i it really turned my ear the first time i heard it because i put the album i bought the album on a whim put it on and i was expecting wait and bleed to come out you know so when prelude 3.0 i don't think prelude 3.0 gets enough credit in terms of slipknot trying to be experimental and pulling it off really well and i'd say the same thing for danger keep away which is another massively massively underrated song the way that that album is bookended it's just perfect and it kind of makes me want to just as soon as danger keep away ends it makes me just want to start the whole thing all over again and i don't get that feeling with the self-titled slipknot at record as much as i love it i just feel spent at the end of the uh self-titled Slipknot record but with with volume three I feel like it's something that I could listen to all day and my first listening I'd get a different interpretation from it than I would on my eighth listen Mm -hmm. well for what it's worth volume three is also my album of choice but um yes all right so I wholeheartedly agree with you um next one on the quick fire round then so um your favorite member and your favorite mask of that member from any of the the eras Oh, this is harder. I'm, but I'm going to say Joe Jordison, mm-hmm. uh, just because he's, um, well, hot take. He's quite a good drummer. Um, he's decent. very good at hitting things. He's decent, yeah. Um, and I just, Joey Jordison always seemed to be kind of like the heart of Slipknot. Um, I think it's a real shame what's happened, um, with Joey's departure and all that sort of thing. Um, I mean, his mask looks fairly similar uh he he doesn't uh, um in all eras i'm I'm gonna go with the all hope is gone one just because just so that i can have the little twig things as well if that counts i don't know if i'm cheating having the little twig things but i think that's that's a genuinely scary malevolent image mm-hmm. um joey at the beginning with those with those twigs coming out of his arms it was genuinely quite theatrically scary um so i thought i thought that was really really cool and uh yeah joey's just fucking awesome okay i think i think we can allow the uh the twig things as well excellent so if you were to have a a line or a lyric from a slipknot song tattooed to your skin what line would you go for this one feels really obvious for me but I've, i'm kind of like well surely everyone else has chosen this but it's got to be you can't see california without marlon brando's eyes right most people have actually picked i want to slit your throat and fuck the wound but um you know ah, uh, yeah okay. each to their yeah. own yeah yeah, yeah. Do you want that tattooed on your body, though? I mean, inviting a, a lady back and then they see that on your torso. Like, is that really a good look? I'm not sure if it is. But um, you can have a conversation. I mean, you can't see California without Alan Brando's eyes. That's a conversation starter. There's loads of different uh, interpretations you could see in it. Um, I I think that would be good. Yeah. And I'd have it tattooed. I'd have it tattooed on my eyeballs as well. You can do that, I think. <laughs> good. Good. And... um final one for the quick fire round possibly the toughest question we're going to ask what's your all-time favorite slipknot song it's uh it's actually relatively easy for me so going back to when i first heard the self-titled record i was really impressed by the intro i'm not going to do all the numbers Mm -hmm. i was really impressed with sick but when eyeless came in that's when i fell in love or 
in loathing or whatever word is most appropriate. I just thought Eyeless was... I just love every single second of Eyeless. Um, I know every single word. I know all the words to the first two records. Um, but I just... I it's just such that opening riff uh is some of the best kind of new metal style slipknot riffs they've ever written probably is the best they've ever written i think and it just sounds so heavy and it sounded so tribal you know the only thing i'd really heard at that point that sounded that tribal was probably roots um by sepultura and i loved hearing that tribal-esque sound again you know three years later i couldn't believe any no one else had really done it because it sounds so so good and it was the first song as well. I mean, truthfully, Sick doesn't sound like a song that needs nine people to make it work. But Eyeless does more so. Because I was still dubious about, do they really need nine members? I mean, one of them plays Glockenspiel or something, you know, is that really necessary? Um, but Eyeless, it really genuinely feels like you need all nine of them there to make it as big as it is. Um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love that song. So this is the the first podcast and the first interview we've done since Corey motherfucking Taylor put his head out in the open again. So I'm yeah. hoping you'll have a different kind of spin on this horrible question that's coming up to, to the other people we've spoken about. What do you think the future holds for Slipknot over the next album cycle or two if they get that far? I don't think CMFT will have anything to do with what Slipknot do in the future I think that's very much Corey's thing and I think he should absolutely keep it as Corey's thing and Corey's alone we don't need any CMFT uh, influence in Slipknot I mean the future of Slipknot I don't see them going anywhere I think they've got plenty of plenty left in the tank I see no reason why they couldn't continue I mean if Kiss could go on for as long as they have I see no reason why Slipknot couldn't. And that might um, that might upset people, that kind of comparison with Kiss. But I don't think it is a million miles away at all. Um, it's just Kiss are all about the party and Slipknot are about kind of fuck the world, fuck this place, fuck everything you stand for. <laughs> you know, but it's still it's still theatrical and it's still those show elements there. That's what Slipknot needed to do to survive. And I think they'll continue doing that. I think they'll continue releasing good records. I don't think we'll ever see... I'd love to be proved wrong. I'd love to be proved wrong. But I don't think we'll ever see anything from Slipknot on record. That's going to be really exciting. But then, you know, I would say the same thing of Metallica. We haven't heard anything on record from Metallica that's been really exciting I would say since I mean I would probably say Load some people would say Black Album some people would say Kill Em All but you know I I, I don't think that should mean anything anything too much that's just what happens uh, with bands but I think we're going to continue to get solid good records they don't strike me as the kind of band who will release any old shit even All Hope Is Gone which I don't think is a very good album. It's not good through them trying to do something different and trying to do something, trying to incorporate elements into the Slipknot sound, which, you know, turns out didn't work, but at least they were trying something. And that's something that I'll always admire about Slipknot. And any band that's always trying to do something different should be 
uh, applauded for doing so. What, what about you and Steve? Riot Act is a, an absolute must-listen every week, and I know that the, the number of albums that both Dave and I have loved because of the pair of you is, is huge. What does the rest of the year look like for you, if you've got any measure on that at all in very strange times? Yeah, we do. Um, I don't know how much I can reveal exactly. Um, we usually do a Christmas show every year. We do like a... Um, christmas quiz the big fat alternative quiz of the year unfortunately sadly we can't go ahead with that um due to everything that's going on um but we do have something else planned instead which i'm extremely excited about and is taking up a ridiculous amount of my time i'm really hoping we can get it together it is a big secret unfortunately so i can't spill the beans um but it is something that i have been spending an awful lot of time on and it's about bringing uh, members of the rock community to create something very very cool which will also go some way to raising funds for venues that didn't get funding as well so that's all very exciting but i can't talk about that until mm. the end of december but you know stay posted uh in terms of riot acts we're continuing on with um classic albums uh i just did pixies uh steve's next pick is system of a down which i'm sure will be um interesting for a lot of listeners of your show i'm sure there's a lot of crossover there we are hoping to get gill back in a room for a christmas special um i'm really i'm I've said that and I instantly regretted it because (laughs) I anyone who listens to the show will know that I hate announcing stuff before it's actually (laughs) happening but that is that is a that is a plan that we would like to do because uh, the last skill special went down really really well we've got our albums of the year coming up which me and Steve have been slaving over for the past god I mean I've been working hard on it like making it the focus of my attention I'd say for the last six weeks and I'm almost there our first album of the year show will be december the first week of december and then the second one's the second week of december uh and it's just a mammoth top 20 countdown over two parts we do it every year it's an absolute nightmare uh but yeah it's going it's going it's been it's really hard this year it's a hell of a year like despite everything else being total shit um music has been an incredible distraction this year so it's going to be a particularly hard list um i can tell you guys exclusively me and steve were considering doing top 50 albums of the year this year rather than top 20 because there's just been so much good stuff but uh i just i nixed the idea after about a week of trying to put together a top 50 rather than a top 20 because it was absolutely killing me um so yeah yeah there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming up yeah i'm I'm an album of the year hell right at this very moment so i'm with you on that i understand exactly where you are yeah yeah chris and i our other podcast we we do our own albums of the year but we we decided to try and make it easier for ourselves by limiting our commentary on each album to three words we do a three word summary and we pick our favorite song and that's turns out it's still really fucking difficult yeah there's no way i can do that you don't need to invite me on for that because i won't be any good at that i'll be rubbish at that well we look forward to hearing yours we're going to leave it there for this episode a little bit housekeeping from our side because we don't really do a very good job of plugging our other uh episodes as we go so i want to give a quick rundown of where we are with season two because we've got more to come Season two so far is Everything Ends, All Out Life, Only One, Do Nothing, Bitch Slap, Gehenna and The Blister Exists, which were fun, Dave, those ones. 
they were I, they they literally feel like they were done in another time in another world but yes they yeah, were fun we did most of those in person so that tells you how long ago that was can i just interject to say i love the fact that you guys are doing mate feed kill repeat stuff that's awesome we're we're being completist about it definitely (laughs) really yeah really completist how did the bitch slap chat go down i'm sure that was interesting chris chris got a new a a new favorite slipknot song i think (laughs) something like that yeah (laughs) something like that i like a bit of faith no more and bungle renfrey so uh hearing that along with thrash metal was right in my wheelhouse yeah fair enough fair enough so over the next week or so we're going to wrap up the rest of the season we've got nero forte new abortion and skeptic so they're going to be a lot of fun as well renfrey it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining us you're very welcome chaps very very happy to be here thank you you can't kill me is produced by this decay and we'll be back very soon with those last three episodes beginning with nero forte thank you very much for listening we'll see you around